All right, we are on page 155, grocery store. The next afternoon, Hannah invites me to visit the grocery store with her. Her mother, she calls a foster, has asked her to buy some food for dinner. We take another bus to a place of many cars in neat rows. By the time we get there, the sun has already said goodnight. That's it, Hannah says, Safeway. There isn't enough food in the world to fill such a building, I say. I follow her inside and she grabs a shiny cart. You don't pay for this fine cart, I ask. You just borrow it, she explains. The grocery store has rows and rows of color, of light, of easy hope. Hannah moves down the aisle, but I stand like a tree rooted firm. My eyes too full of this place with its answers to prayers on every shelf. Hannah glances over her shoulder. You okay, she asks. I reach out and touch a piece of bright green food I've never seen before, and then I begin to cry. Hannah rushes to my side. It's okay, she says. We can leave if you want. She takes my hand, and we leave the empty cart and go outside. We sit on the icy bench and wait for the bus. A car whooshes past. It's, its lights cut the gloom like the eyes of a great cat prowling for food in the moonlight. The story I tell Hannah on the way home. In our tent in the camp, a baby was dying. Flies teased her eyes and her arms hung like broken sticks. Her mother was not much older than I am. All day long, she whispered to the baby, drink, drink, drink. All day, all night, we couldn't sleep for the sound of it. But the baby had been hungry for too long and the bottle went untouched. And after a while, the mother stopped rocking and went silent. When the baby died, she covered her child with a feed sack and she said to no one, I told her to eat. Why wouldn't she eat? When I'm done with the story, I stare out the window at the sunless world. Hannah stares with me. This time, she's the one who cannot find any words. Library. Miss Hernandez and Mr. Franklin take us to the school school library twice a week. It's filled with books on shelves, climbing to the ceiling like little buildings. Each book is like a door waiting to be unlocked. Today I sit at a table, but I don't pick a book to read like everyone else in my class. Today, I don't know why, feels like the day at the grocery store. Today I'm thinking of how my mother always wanted to learn to read to own a book to open one of these magical presents and see what's inside. Miss Hernandez shows me a book about cows. She asked me to find a picture of a cow-like gull, but I tell her I don't feel in a library mood today. That's okay, she says, I know how that goes. It's just so hard to choose, I add. There are so many books and where I come from, there are hardly any. Miss Hernandez nods. I felt that way a lot when I first came here. Once I went to the mall and ended up hiding in the corner of a clothes store. It was just too many lights, too many clothes, you know, and I still feel kind of funny at movies. Have you been to a movie yet? I shake my head, not one of the big movies, but I did see a little one on the flying boat. I went to a grocery store though. I started to, I whisper the last word, cry. Miss Hernandez pats my hand. It's just too much sometimes, isn't it? When you had almost nothing, 
and when you know that many people still have so little. I don't know what to do with it all, I say. I kick at a chair leg. To have all this food and all these books and all this freedom, I feel sort of, I don't know the word, too lucky? It's a big gift, she agrees. I reach for the cow book. My father would have liked this book, I say. I'd like to hear about your family, Miss Hernandez says. I think for a minute. My father was a fine singer, I say. Tell me more, Miss Hernandez says, and I do. Going up. Time passes, the kind they call weeks. I have a little money for my job. I have to make myself believe that a crumpled piece of green paper means something, means anything. In my old world, it was easy. You can know a person's wealth by counting his cattle. Hannah and I take the bus to a giant store filled with many things to buy. I've promised her I will not get upset this time. I want to buy my aunt some new dishes. There are stores within stores here and music and food. It's bright and big with toys and chairs. TV machines and t-shirts. What do you call such a place, I ask. The mall, Hannah replies. I follow her to a huge shiny store. I've herded cattle for hundreds of miles with only the stars to guide me, but I'm certain I could never find my way out of this place. Hannah takes me to two magic silver staircases, one going up, one coming down. I watch as the stairs melt away, then reappear. It's just an escalator, she says. No big deal. Come on. I shake my head. They had these at the airport, but Dave let me take the stairs instead. Is there another way to climb? She laughs. Well, there's an elevator. That would be a better way, I think. Okay, but you gotta promise me you'll try it next time. It's fun, Hannah says. So are elevators. The elevator is hiding near a row of puffy white coats, like clouds with arms. Hannah pushes a button. We wait. A bell rings, and then the doors vanish. I follow her into the little room waiting for us. She pushes another button, then zoom, up we fly. I think I left my stomach downstairs, I say. Hannah smiles. Told you it was fun. Hearts. Hannah leads me to shelves full of colorful dishes. I like some with many stripes, but she says I can't afford them. She picks out a small box of white ones. This should pretty much replace what you broke, Hannah says. I cradle the box gently in my arms, the way I would carry a newborn calf, and the way to the paying place. We pass many red sparkling cards and much candy. Some of it is even chocolate. Valentine's Day is in a couple days, Hannah explains. You give stuff to people you like. Plus, it just happened to be my birthday. Hey, when's your birthday? I don't know, I admit. We don't have birthdays in the way that you do, but I know I was born in the time you call summer. Hannah looks confused by this news. It's hard for me to remember that she sometimes finds my ways as strange as I find hers. I must find you a gift, I say. After I pay you back the money I owe for the bus and the washing, how much do I have left? No way, Hannah says. You're not spending your hard-earned money on yours truly. But it would make me very proud, I argue, and it's my duty as your friend. Hannah grins out of one side of her mouth, a silly tilted smile, like a new moon rising. Okay, okay, see that little box of heart candy? Heart candy? You could afford that. It must be chocolate, I say firmly. She scans the shelves. Here, she says at last. She hands me a shiny little heart. Perfect. We stand in a long line, 
when I give the lady my money for the dishes and the heart. My own heart grows so big with pride, I fear it might pop open like a ripe seed pod. I earn this money, I tell her. I take care of a cow. It's a fine job. The lady smiles politely. If you say so, hon. Again, I'm learning that America people don't understand the wonder of a cow. Maybe if they had more cows on the TV machine, people would begin to feel as Ganwar and I do. You can have your dogs and cats, your gerbils and hamsters and sleek sparkling fish, but you will have lived just half a life if you never love a cow. White girl. In front of our apartment, I give the shiny heart to Hannah. Happy birthday and happy Valentine's Day, I say to my good friend, Hannah. Three boys walk past just as Hannah slips the silver heart into the pocket of her coat. They glare at us with eyes that shoot poison. Leave the white girl alone, one yells. Hands off, boy. Just ignore them, Hannah whispers. She pulls me inside and slams the door shut. A moment later, she opens it a crack and peers out. They're gone, she says. I shake my head. I don't understand, I say. Me neither, Hannah says. Me neither. You shouldn't have pulled me inside, I mutter. They're jerks. Hannah yanks off her mittens. I didn't want you to get hurt. I am a man, I say, standing tall. Sure you are, Hannah says. I just, you know, didn't see the point in a fight. Why does it matter? I can't explain. Suddenly I feel tired of using words that don't belong to me. Never mind, I say. I trudge up the stairs. My aunt is surprised to see the box for me. A present, she keeps saying. A present for me? She opens the dishes and hugs me hard. You are such a fine boy, Keck, she says. I feel happy about the dishes and bad about the angry boys. It's hard to feel two things at once, so I try not to feel anything. I sit next to Ganmore on the sofa. Together, we watch the TV machine tell its happy, easy stories. Scars. Every weekend and other days sometimes, Ganmore and I go to lose. It feels good to go somewhere simple, to work and sing and eat cookies with chocolate. Ganwar doesn't say so, but I think he is calmer on these days. Sometimes he even whistles a radio song or tells me jokes in English that I don't understand. Always, though, I laugh to make him happy. One afternoon, Ganwar and I rebuild a gate that's rotted away at the edge of the field. It's long work and we sweat under our thick coats. The sun is still weary and weak like a traveler too long on the road, but each day it's trying harder to warm the world. Ganwar wipes away sweat with his arm. The six lines etched in his forehead glisten. I will never have the gar, I say suddenly. My words surprise me. It's an idea I've never let myself think about until now. The initiation ceremony is part of another place, a place I may never return to. You're lucky, Ganwar says. Why would you want such scars? Here they mean nothing. There they meant everything, I say. I lean on the fence. How will I know when I'm a man? Ganwar keeps hammering. When you own a fine car and a house with many bathrooms, then you are a man in this country, he answers with a smile. It isn't so funny, I say. You've been tested and I haven't. You were brave. I look away. I don't want him to see my eyes and what lies hidden there. Me. I haven't been. Sure you have, Ganmar replies. You were in the camp alone. You came here alone. That's plenty brave. It doesn't take a knife in the hand of a village elder for you to prove yourself. I pick up my hammer and slam it hard against a rusty nail sticking out of the wood. 
That's easy for you to say. After that, I won't talk anymore, but I hammer many nails as hard as I can. Even with my gloves on, I have a good hurting blister to show for it. Bad news. More weeks pass, something strange is happening to the world. I hear bird song now where only silence filled the air before. Tiny green hints dot the trees and bushes. The snow is getting smaller and grayer, like an old person whose time is past. Dave says it's called spring. One morning, Lou calls us to come into her kitchen. A plate of warm chocolate cookies waits for us. I'm happy about this until I see Lou's ankle, covered by a thick white bandage. Sprained the dang thing last night, she says, slipped in the barn. Do you have many pains, I ask? Nah, she waves away the question like a troublesome insect. But it's gotten me to thinking, boys. Even with your help, I just can't keep this place running anymore. Wish it weren't that way. I've been here a long, long time. It's time to sell and move on. Ganwar nods. He doesn't look surprised. It's okay, Lou. We knew it probably wouldn't last. I stare out the window. Where will you go? I ask in a whisper. When the farm is sold. Lou lifts her shoulders. I'm not sure. This has been my home so long I don't know anywhere else. I have a sister in Los Angeles. She makes a face. Not sure I could stand all that nice weather. What would I complain about? We can stay on as long as you need us, Genoir says. He doesn't sound mad at all. He sounds like he is used to being disappointed. But what about Gull, I ask. My voice has a crack in it. Lou looks out the window, too. I don't know, Keck. They're going to build a strip mall. Won't be needing a cow, I'm guessing. She sighs. Gull is a very old, tired animal. I don't think we'll probably be able to find anyone who wants her. I'm sorry, hon. I leap to my feet. My chair falls back with a loud thud. I hate it here, I scream. I want to go home. I run out the door and across the field toward the bus stop. I'm glad that Lou can't follow me with her sore foot. I'm sorry that I'm glad, and I'm mad that Ganoir isn't mad enough. I stop working at Lou's. Ganoir keeps going to the farm, but he doesn't say anything to me about it. When he comes home with hay and mud stuck to the bottom of his running shoes, I leave the room. Lou calls for me on the aunt's telephone to see if I will change my mind, but I won't talk to her. She tells my aunt I'm a hard worker. She says she and Gull miss my smile. One morning, Mr. Franklin says, hey, cowboy, and I almost start to cry. I say, please don't call me that anymore. I am just keck now, but I don't tell him why. Hannah says I am cutting off my nose to spite my face. I don't know what this means, so she explains. It means you are being a stubborn moron boy. She looks a little sad when she says this, so I don't get mad at her. Why don't you at least keep going for a while, she asks. It could be months before she leaves. Because at the end I know Lou and Gull and the farm will be gone forever, I say. Can't you understand this feeling? Hannah chews on her lip. Yeah, I guess I can, she says at last. I wonder if maybe she is thinking about her mother, who is not a foster, but I don't ask.